Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now this week's message. Good morning. Years ago, I read a book by the, uh, called uh, Millionaire Next Door. How many of you have read that? Anybody in here read that? Great book. Um, and that's a book about finances, and it tells you, you know, uh, how the, it really was a study about how the wealthy live. And uh, the people who wrote the book had to figure out how to go gather a bunch of millionaires. They had to be worth $10 million or more, literally worth $10 million or more. So, uh, so they go gather them up, and they figure, oh, our first meeting ought to be in a really plush, you know, penthouse hotel room. And, uh, and then we'll just, we'll just, you know, put on a spread for them, you know, something they're used to. And they got all these expensive wines and they had all these, uh, special plates that the wealthy eat, caviar, etc. And, and they just put on a spread and it was at a meal time when they would know everyone was hungry so everyone would want to eat. Well, they have this two hour meeting in there. And there's times they can get up and eat, and nobody. And, and when they when they get up to eat, all they go get is the crackers. They don't touch anything else. And so the ones who are hosting this thing are going, "What's going on?" You know. So after it's over, and they start to talk to them, and they sort of start officially start the meeting, uh, they can't help but ask, "So what was wrong with the food?" And these wealthy folks give them the very first lesson they're going to learn. They said, that's not how we eat. Uh, that's not the kind of food we, we eat or the kind of stuff we drink. That's way too expensive. We're much more frugal than that. And one Texan, 35-year-old Texan, stood up and said, people who want to act like they have a lot of money, but don't really have a lot of money. We call them people with big hat, but no cattle. Big hat, no cattle. In other words, they look the part, but they don't really have the wealth in their life. And that's what Jesus is about to expose. So imagine spiritually looking the part but not really having anything on the inside. And see, this is a problem with religion. And Jesus is about to point it out. Now, if you're a guest with us, we've been in the book of Mark uh, for a very short time. We're flying through this book. (laughs) Take it from me, all right? And we're at the end of chapter 12 right now. And this is from, from, a, from chapter 11 to, to 16 is Jesus' last seven days. So a third of the book is Jesus' last, the last week of his life. We're in the middle of the week. Two days from now, he's going to die. It's Wednesday. Friday, he goes to the cross. He came into Jerusalem and uh, sort of turned the tables in the temple and challenged these people. Well, he has set up shop in the temple, and it's Passover week. So the temple is the place to be. Everyone is there. Sacrifices are being made. If you've ever wanted to see religion at its best, you would have been there that week and seen it. All kinds of hats. 
very little cattle. And these religious people who wear the hats have confronted Jesus. And they have asked him four questions, hoping to trap him. They want to trap him. Because if they can make him look bad, they'd make themselves look good, which is what they're all about. So they ask him four questions. Jesus is on the defensive the whole time. Well, by the time Jesus is done answering their questions, he has impressed them all to where Mark literally says, no one dared ask him another question. They realize he's not anyone to fool with. And we got a good window into who Jesus was with the, on, his, on the defensive. We saw how he responded to things and got a good window. Not enough of a window, but, uh, but quite a bit. And remember, the whole book of Mark is about seeing Jesus for who he really is. You got to see him for who he really is. So Mark is about perception, eyes, hearing. He's constantly alerting the readers to are you seeing and are you hearing who Jesus really is? So now Jesus is on the offensive. And we saw two weeks ago what the offensive looked like. First, it was a confrontation of their theology. And he said to the Israelites, let me tell you something about the Messiah. Because remember, that's who the Jews were waiting for, and it's who Jesus is claiming to be. But he hasn't come out and said it. It's been subtle. Jesus is trying to say, I'm in. Can you see it? And so Jesus' question to them when he gets to talk, when he finally gets a word in, is, who do you expect the Messiah to be? Whose son do you expect him to be? I know you expect him to be David's son, but is that all? See, they knew the Messiah would come from David, a descendant of David, because it would be in the royal line. He's going to be a king, and he's going to uh, subdue Israel's enemies. What they could not have known, what he's going to be more than David's son, he's going to be God's son. Because God has a bigger plan and something bigger to accomplish that he, only he himself could do. It's got to be more than David. It's got to be the son of God. Because the son of God is going to go to a cross and defeat all the enemies. Evil. Not just Israel's enemies. Humankind's enemies have to be defeated. What needs to be accomplished, Israel, is far greater than you can imagine. And so the one coming is far greater than you imagine. And no, none of them actually answer the question. But when Jesus is finished, you can hear the theological sort of uh, uh, crickets just chirping. What's... The answer to that question. And Jesus is basically saying, if God's son were to actually come, what would he look like? And Jesus is saying, if you've been watching me, you'll see. If you've been watching me, you'll see. So the whole point is, do you see who I am? Now, he's not finished. The moment, while that's hanging, while this big theological thing is hanging over their head here in the temple, he now goes on the offensive yet again, but this time he attacks their religiosity and their hypocrisy. He points out their hats. And he can't point out cattle because they don't have any. They they, They look spiritually, they look like millionaires. Like a million bucks. The truth is, they're broke. Now you think about that and you think, what does it mean to be rich before God and, or, or, or poor, spiritually bankrupt before God? Because that's the point of this text. Now, 
So Jesus says, while you're thinking about who I am, let me show you who you are. And so he does. And this is where Jesus is the harshest. Okay, Mark and Luke only have two or three verses. But Matthew 23, if you know anything about Matthew, when you get to this point in gospel, Matthew, he spends 36 verses literally coming off the chain on these people. You say, why is Jesus so harsh here? This is what he does in Matthew. I just printed out Matthew 23, read it, highlighted, and put some words in the margin about what Jesus calls these people in Matthew 23. 36 verses of this. You're all show, you're proud, you're petty, you're merciless, you're dirty, you're greedy, you're self-indulgent, you're like corpses. You're murderers, you're snakes, vipers, and you're hell-bound. That's Jesus? That doesn't sound like the Jesus I know. Yeah. Why is he so angry at them? Well, Matthew makes it clear. They're actually in the way of people getting in the kingdom. You've locked people out of the kingdom because that's not how people get into the kingdom. It's not about how fancy, how great are your deeds. That's not going to get you in the kingdom. And what you're doing is you're just passing out hats to everybody. And they all feel good about their lives. And now they're collecting hats. Now they've become hat collectors. And so you got all these people with fancy hats. None of them really know me. And none of them have any spiritual depth. You've made them twice the children of hell than they were before they met you. Hmm. So Jesus is angry. And so, like he does in his teaching here, after they're still trying to wrestle with who he is, he's going to point out who they are. In his teaching, Jesus also said, watch out for. So that's the first thing that happens. Watch out for these people. Okay, this is a key word in this. Because it really words, it means see. It means to see, look, look out. And that's the whole point of this text. While he's telling them to look, he's telling the crowd, look at them. While he's telling the, the leaders, look at me, he's saying to the crowd, look at them. Open your eyes to this reality. Watch out for the experts in the law. They love to walk around in long robes. The scribes would do. They were so, you know, this, this, is, this is their big hats. It was white robes. Everyone else wore everyday colors. But they would stand out because they were all white. And these robes on the end would have tassels. And Matthew says, as time goes on, you keep putting longer tassels on the end of them to look even more spiritual. And then when you walk around in those long robes, you love the elaborate greetings. Because it was very appropriate in the marketplace. You hustle and bustle. Things are going on. But if one of those guys in white walked by you, everyone had to stop. What they were doing... And greet them with some special kind of a greeting. I'm not really sure what it looked like. I was a little weird there. It wasn't oriental. I'm not trying to say that. I don't know what it was. Okay. It could be anything. But whatever it was, it came with a greeting too. It came with words like uh, teacher, rabbi, father. And Matthew really gives this exchange in detail. Jesus is like, give it up. Give up on the titles. But that was one of their big hats, and they loved it. In fact, that was, that's what this word, fellow, it means they desired it. They sought it out. It, it like made their day to look spiritual. Spiritual. 
They loved the best seats in the synagogue. When you came into the synagogue, it was similar to this. Everyone would be facing the front like this. But on the, on the wall here, it would be seats. Remember in the Baptist church when you used to grow up, your pastors used to sit on the seats in the front and face you, and they all just looked more spiritual than maybe they really were. We could all look, pastors can look like that. Like, so I remember that. And everybody would sit up here, and you looked at them, and for just some reason, just because they were up here and you could see them, and they just, somehow they just, they must be spiritual. Okay, I'm not making fun of the Baptist church. I grew up in the Baptist church. Don't make me, I'm not trying to mock pastors. I am one. I'm not doing that. Just in case you don't know me, you may not know me. All right. All right. So uh, they love sitting up here because they thought it was great that you got to stare at them during the thing. And you know, this word best really is the word for first. And if you remember, this is a trigger word for Mark and the gospel writers. Because remember, the first will be what? Last. See, they like the first place. See, if you like first place, you miss it. If you just like wearing the hat, you're going to miss it. They love that seat in the synagogue. And then they love the place of honor at a bank. We've all been to a banquet. Everybody gets dressed up. You know, there's a reason for the banquet. Somebody's being honored at the banquet. Some, somebody's the big deal at the banquet. They love the best seats because the best seats meant they were the guests of honor. And they were usually served a little bit better than everybody else. They loved that spot. And this is a beautiful picture because in this moment here at a banquet, you could see everyone is very, you know, prim and proper and civilized. Right? And then, so you see the big hats. But they devour widows' properties. And this word is so important because they go from being these civilized banquet eaters, feasting at the banquet, to literally feasting on the widows' property. So in one minute, they're pictured as these civilized, spiritual, important people. In the next minute, they're devouring widows. They're feasting on the widows. Like ravenous animals. It's such a contrast. And as a show, and that's one of the key words in this passage. It's just a big game to them. It's just a big hat to them. They make long prayers. Somehow, and this is how, this is, this is a lot of way religion works. And you'll see it in your own life a little bit because to some degree, it's hard for us as human beings. It's almost unavoidable when we do something bad, we want to make up for it. So you can imagine how they must have felt because anyone that hypocritical is now going to make these long prayers in hopes that they can somehow, you know, the way we use religion, feel a little better about ourselves after that really crappy thing we just did. That's what they're doing. To make them feel a little bit better about themselves. So that's how religion works. You have to figure out how to deal with your sin. And so you just go do it. You don't really stop doing what you're doing. You just figure out another way to, uh, you know, it's, it's not important to you to become a different kind of a person. It's just important for you to buy a new hat and put it on so that, you know, whatever you, whatever dastardly deeds you're doing over here, somehow you feel better about yourself because you've got this collection of hats. You know, good deeds that you do. And of course, they're going to receive more punishment. 
they're worse off. They're worse off because because they're leading other people away from God. You know, selling these fancy hats. And Jesus is just, he just can't stand it. So they claim all this religiosity. Um, I want to say something here because there's such a hard distinction and we don't always make it very well as believers. None of us are perfect. And I'll just use myself as as an example. I catch myself mentally wanting to sin a lot. I catch myself not being who I ought to be in every area of my life, every minute of every day. And of course, I'm trying. And so I'm, you know, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring that out, confronting myself, dealing with God on myself. And we're all that way. None of us could claim perfection. But there are some of us who are not trying really to be like God. We'll come to church and we'll wear the big hat and then we'll leave and we have no intention of of living for God out there. We'll screw people over in business any chance we get. Maybe we're living with someone just blatantly violating God's truth. That's a different person than the person who isn't perfect, who's trying to get his life together, but he can't claim perfection. And so it's important for you to know who you are today. It's important for you to think about that and reflect on your life and who you are. I just want you to think about it. I'll tell you something about widows. And when you read this text, this is the one that stands out right here. Because everything else looks like a big hat. If you just took the devouring widows out, you would say, these are, the, these, these are the best spiritual guys I've ever met in my life. Look what they do. They, they make long prayers. They have the, 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 the place of honor at the banquet. They, they wear the right clothes. They have the right titles except for this one right here now let me just tell you something about this one because this one is the trigger for the next story Uh, God loves widows in fact widows were probably the I don't know, the greatest picture of the needy. There was orphans and aliens, and God loved them equally. But the widows, you could say widows, and you knew the whole category that was meant. And these were people who couldn't help themselves. An orphan or an alien, a foreigner who came into the country, had no way of helping himself. Israel had to help them, because they couldn't do it themselves. They were devastated and destitute and had nothing. And when a widow's husband died, put her in a... In a, in a situation just beyond comprehension in that culture because there was no way she could do anything about it. And so what was most important to her was what he left her. Her house, her property, whatever his state he had, she had to manage that thing the best she could because she wasn't going to be able to work. 
Especially if she had no kids or didn't have any kids to take care of her. So, oh my gosh, one of the top priorities for Old Testament and New Testament, God's people, was to take care of those people who can't take care of themselves. And here they are devouring them. You say, how do they devour them? There's lots of little ways. But scribes had this legal ability. So they would come, a lot of these widows would come to the scribes, and they didn't have any money, the scribes. They didn't earn any money. They weren't very wealthy. So they relied on the gifts of people. And so the widows were a way to really make them feel bad, take little by little what they had. The, 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 the widows would come to them with their property, sort of legals, and say, can you help me manage this estate? And they would just rob them blind. Literally the phrase, what we would say is, eat her out of house and home. That's what devour a widow's property means. Literally, this is house. It meant everything she had. Not only what she lived in, but everything that was in it. They would eat her out of house and home by charging her dues and making her pay for things that she didn't understand. They would just take it from her. And of course, uh, God's heart was so bound up with the poor that if you're against them, you act against them, you act against me. That's how God viewed it. You might as well have acted against me. And that's the picture in the Old Testament new. Proverbs 19.17, one of my favorite verses. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. You ever loan God money? Because that's the picture. When you give to the needy, you loan God money. That means, guess what? He owes you. You ever put a God in a position to owe you? Give to the poor. Profound verse. And then Matthew 25, remember when he's separating the sheep and the goats? And what's the sheep, how, how does he base that separation on? At the end in the judgment, the good and the bad? He says, I'll tell you how. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you made me feel better. You gave me something. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And everybody was like, Lord, when did we ever see you that way? And he said to them, as you did it to them, you did it to me. Because God identifies. He identifies with them. That's why this piece right here is very important. Now, let me just say this. You're not spiritual because you help the poor. But if you don't help the poor, you're not spiritual. Do you get that? If if you don't care about the needy, then something's wrong with your heart. And see, what they're basically proving here is they have big hats, but they do not know me. They're absolutely against me. They don't identify with me. They don't know me. And it's evident by the way they treat the widows. So that's his his point. Now, there's two critical pieces here in this next story that we're about to hear, because the fact that he mentions the widow here and it stands out is the reason why Jesus is about to tell the, the, the story of the widow's might. Now, you say, why is this so critical? Because why is she so critical? Because she's about to be the contrast to the scribes. Because here's a woman with no hats, but lots of cattle. No hat, lots of cattle. And Jesus wants you to see what that looks like. And in that comes one of the most important lessons as a disciple we have to learn. Critical. But there's something else. Remember the question that's still hanging over the group? Who is Jesus? Do we see him right? 
Jesus is going to say, that widow pictures me too. So let's see how he does it. The first thing that happens is the contrast, and I want you to notice that. you got this... Then he sits down opposite the offering box. Okay, so uh, if you... There was a big wall around the temple, then there was another wall in the temple, and there was all these little walls in the temple. They all had little courtyards and rooms. And when you come into the first one, that's the court of the Gentiles. That's as far as a non-Jew could go. Then you would go in the next little area, and then that's as far as women could go. So it was called the court of women. And in that court was a treasury. That's where you gave your money. And in there were 13 receptacles shaped like horns, small end up, big end against a wall or in a, in a box, and you would walk up and put your money in there. It was always coins. It was always coins. Because that's what they gave. That's what was required. And so you would put your money in there. And you would walk up to the priest. And the priest would, uh, would see what you're giving. And he would want to know why you're giving it. And then he would direct you to the right one of the 13 receptacles because they represented something different. One could be for a certain sacrifice or another sacrifice or for the temple building or for different things. Free will offerings, stuff like that. So the priest wants to know what you're giving for, wants to see what you're giving. He would usually announce it. How would you like that? Announce it and then send you off and then you would put it in there. So there's this big visual thing and people can hear what you're giving. And then you go over there and you put the coins in. This is a big deal. So they're going over and he's watching them. Here's that key word again. First, he said, watch out for. He's going to tell you what to look for that you don't want in your life. Now he's going to tell you what to look for that you do want in your life. You see? What to watch out for. Remember, Jesus is trying to get you to see better. He's trying to get you to see better. To see what he sees. So now we're seeing what he sees. He sees their big hats. And now he's about to see in her life something different. So he watched the crowd putting in. Now watch this. Many, A, contrast. Rich people, poor widow. Throwing coins in, putting cords in, coins in. Large amounts, two small copper, two lepta, the smallest coins in circulation, worth about eighth of a penny. Mark brings that up. Worth nothing. Two of them. And so you can see the contrast here. He wants you to see it. Because he knows when you are watching, when you and I are watching, we are very often, our attention and our eyes are drawn to this. The many, the rich, the more, the a lot, and the throwing. We love it. And see, when you took a lot of coins, if you had a lot of coins and you put them all in there, you could hear it all going into those, into those metal, metal you know, horn-shaped sort of receptacles. It would just sound good. So you not only look good, you sounded good. Can you imagine what it sounded like when she put hers in? Nobody even heard it. It probably didn't even get heard. She's not even noticed and she's not heard. If Jesus didn't see her, no one would have seen her. And see, that's the thing about Jesus. He knows what to look for. He knows where to look. So there's your contrast. And so here's what happens. He comes and sits down. And this is where the meat of this thing really takes place. Is right here when Jesus says, all right, now I got to have a special meeting. I have just 
shown everyone in the crowd the hats of these guys. Now I'm going to put my disciples aside and I'm going to teach them something that I want them to take home with them. Because I'm about to leave here in two days. They need to know what to look for when I'm gone. I don't want to just point out the big hats. Let me point out the cattle. And of course, Jesus is about to say, I tell you the truth. I'm about to show you reality, folks. Listen, I know there's a big reality. It's very noisy. It's, it's very shiny and it has lots of stuff and it looks good and they're beautiful hats. But that's not the focus. That's not my focus. Don't focus on externals, Jesus says. Because I'm going to tell you some reality. I'm going to tell you another reality that you can't see. It's not visible. It isn't shiny and it doesn't make a lot of noise. But it's more real. It's realer than what you see. Okay? That's not really a word. We just made one up. This poor widow has done more than the others. Well, that's interesting. See, because in the shiny big hat reality, she did not put in more than they did. But in God's real reality, she did. Well, we better know how to see what this is, because evidently this is what he values. He doesn't value that. She put in more than all of them. They all gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. She gave what she had to live on. Literally, (laughs) the way to translate this would be, she gave her life. Everything she had. She could have put one of the two in, but she put both of them in. Now hang with me on this. Because this is what Jesus is trying to say. There's a distinction between the visible and the invisible. What's obvious and what isn't. I need my followers. I need my followers to be able to distinguish the shiny and the visible and the tangible and what looks good from what is really important. That's the onus on the disciple in this text because this language is about discipleship. Remember, they left everything and followed him. This is discipleship language. So he calls them together and he says, I want you to know something about this lady. I see beyond the amount. I see her heart. So this is Jesus leaving the external and the big hats and coming into the heart. It's not your hats I care about. It's your heart I care about. So he calls them together and he says, you know what it means to be a disciple? He called these guys together. Because you've got to ask yourself if you're one, if you're going to hear what Jesus is going to say right now. It means you're being schooled by Jesus. That's what it means. You're being schooled by Jesus. And you know what you're being schooled on here? Do you be, are you able to see eternal things of value as opposed to just things of physical value? If you can't make that distinction, you are going to have a really rough time following Jesus. Because he's constantly pointing to a reality beyond this one. And if you're stuck here and your eyes are here, you're going to get lost. Nothing like the shiny and the, and the more and the throwing and all the activity to cut 
the nerve of discipleship clean off. If you're focused here, you will never know what it means like to follow me. You'll be the most frustrated person in the world. So Jesus, here's Jesus basically saying, uh, and I love this line right here. He sat down opposite the offering box because here Jesus is giving us a front row view of God's full world. It's one of my favorite, Dallas Willard uses it of Jesus. He says, here's the thing, the beauty thing about Jesus is he sees God's full world. If you follow him, then you see the bigger picture. You see everything. That's the benefit, by the way, of attaching yourself to Jesus and being schooled by him is he's going to show you what really matters. All the time. You come into a dilemma in your life, you go, I don't know if that one means more or this one means more. Jesus will tell you. And so he gives us a front view into God's full world. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to enroll in my school of life, then you're going to need to see beyond the visible. You're going to have to accept the reality that I'm showing you, that there is something more valuable than what you can see and touch and grasp. And you've got to accept it, and then you've got to live with it. That's what the widow does. The widow actually does it because she, does, she, she gives her whole life and everything. She gives up total control. She doesn't care what people think of her. She doesn't care that she's going to go home and literally have no money to buy anything. She's completely lost control of this reality, and she's fine with it. Jesus says, that's what my disciples are able to do. They're so detached from this reality. It doesn't drive who they are when it comes to making spiritual decisions because they see a reality beyond this one. That's what he's trying to say. She's let go of the world. She's let go of stuff. She's let go of control. She's let go of her image. And Jesus is saying, in my world, I'm going to open up a world to you where she actually gave more money than they did. In other words, I think more of her gift than the, uh, than the big hats. Her gift is literally of greater value. And I'll actually be able to do more with it. That's what he's saying. In other words, in the divine rate of ex- in, the, in the divine exchange rate, things look different. And see, that's the challenge to us. Do we see that difference? Can you see that difference? And I know it would be real easy to do a sermon here on how much you give. And there's not a one of us in here who would feel bad because not every one of us brought everything we own and set it here today. And so none of us could leave here feeling good. This verse, this is, these are not the verses to use about how you ought to give every week in your life. And you'd be misled if, if somebody tried to do that to you. These verses are a picture of discipleship as a whole. Can you see the difference between two realities? And do you know how to walk away from this reality in order to fulfill this one? That's what Jesus needs from his disciples. That's in general in your whole life. Okay, so that might look something like, uh, of course, in this text, it's going to cost you, see, because it cost her. I mean, if you were counseling this woman, which if she walked up to you and said, you know, I have two lepta. I'm not going to eat dinner tonight. 
Should I give them both? What would your counsel be? Lady, just take them and go home. God loves your heart. You got a great heart. Bless your heart. Go home with your lepta. That's how we would have counseled her. And usually that's because what she's picturing now is a greater disconnect from this reality than we're willing to have and a much greater trust in God for where the next meal's coming from. That's what discipleship is. It's not afraid to lose control of this reality so that it can do what God accomplishes it. Want, wants accomplished in our lives because we see a different reality. So you at least learn two things about giving in this text, even though we're not camping there. One is, if you have a problem giving, if you're not a generous person based on what you have, you have a problem that's deeper than, it's deeper, it's internal, it's a heart problem. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're proud of what you give, Be very careful, because according to this text, Jesus sees what you kept, too. (laughs) Okay? So none of us are leaving here with A's. Now, I'll let you tease out what that means for your life, because preachers get in trouble touching that. And I don't want any trouble. I don't want to touch it. But, are you willing to sacrifice for what you see is more real than this world because that's what she does and that's the message. Are you able to see, here it is, are you able to see value in people no matter what they have? Even if, you, even if there's not going to be any glory in it for you or, or you're going to look a little ridiculous, when you serve the needy, are you okay losing a little recognition and notoriety to do what you do? Because if you have, then you can see a bigger reality. When you give, do you really see the treasure in heaven that you're storing up that Jesus describes? Or are you completely blind to that reality? Because it'll make it really hard to give if you can't see eternal reality. And definitely, if you're going to invest in eternity, you're not going to get anything here probably for it. So you're going to lose out on something. Are you willing to do that because you see this reality? What about forgiving? Are you able to do that? Are you able to forgive? Because you see the importance of what that means to God and who God is, even though it means you'll have to lose out on taking revenge. One of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life is not pay someone back for hurting you. Can you see spiritual reality well enough to let go of that? Because that's that's the game that's being played here. How about doing the right thing morally? (sighs) You do the right thing morally because you see God's righteousness and what it means to be in the kingdom, but you know it's going to cost you over here to do it. Are you willing to pay it? Because that's what it means to be schooled by Jesus. It's being able to see what anyone else can't see, and that's what Jesus is trying to get his disciples. Do you see what I see in the temple over there? How about tough circumstances? You've got tough circumstances. You've been rejected. Life ain't going the way you want. College isn't moving as fast as you wanted it to. This didn't happen. That didn't happen. You don't know how this is going to work. You don't know what the, It just feels like the world's against you. Can you see beyond that to eternal reality? Can you see 
Our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Can you see the weighty eternal real thing? Because we are not looking at what can be said. Seen. Listen, Jesus is grabbing his disciples and pulling them aside and says, hey, I want you to see something because nobody would have noticed that would if Jesus didn't point her out. Because what the priest said about her and what she looked like and what she put in that reservoir would have gotten no one's attention. You've got to be able to see what for. What can be seen is temporary and what cannot be seen is eternal. Jesus ain't going to get you to see the eternal. You just, Jesus saying, when I told you that the first here or last there, I really mean that. If you try to be first here, big ads, you'll be last there. And anyone can live this way. Anyone can live the way I'm describing. You can even be a widow. You might be sitting out there, oh, you don't know my circumstances, you don't know my trouble. Jesus is pointing out that even a widow who has no big hats, no fancy clothes, no big bank accounts, no real future, struggles every single day, can still live for me in my order of things if she'll count on me for everything. And that's what she does. And that's what God is asking his disciples to do. It's a heavy thing. Anyone can do it who's willing to trust Jesus and let him school them in what's eternal and what's temporal. So the real question is, who's out of touch with the reality here? The religious with the big hats and all the stuff? Or the widow? The one going home and doesn't know where she's going to have dinner? Jesus would say, yes, I know this widow, even though she's been devoured by these religious Thugs. She's still willing to walk away from what matters to them and live for what matters to me. It's amazing. So that's the question. Do you have a do you have a solid hold on that kingdom? Because Jesus saying, disciples, I need you to be able to see it. You know you're a disciple of Jesus if you actually do what he says. So <laughs> watch this. So this is all hanging over the temple in chapter 12. I just want to make two simple points. We'll be done. Uh, and, and get this. That's Jesus' last words in the temple. There you have it. Disciples, I need you to see what I see. Can you see what I see? Can you value what I value? Are you willing to pay the price for what I value? That's the message in the, in the text. So then they leave the temple. Jesus will never go back to it again. As they're leaving the temple, watch this. Now as Jesus was going out of the temple courts, this is chapter 13. One of his disciples, one of his monkeys says to him, teacher, look at these tremendous stones and buildings. He's talking about the temple. He's enamored by what he, look at, he says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you've been telling us to look at some stuff, and now I want you to look at some stuff. Isn't that temple great? Jesus just been demolishing that temple. And listen, when the sun, of, when the sun comes up in the Mount of Olives in the east, and it hits the east side of the temple, and I've stood right there and seen what that visual looks like, 
that eastern wall used to be made of gold. And so when the sun hit it, it was blazing, it was blinding, it was beautiful. Like one of the wonders of the world. And so this guy is saying, isn't this building beautiful? It's like all he can see after Jesus just said, quit looking at the physical. And then look at Jesus says to him, no, do you see? Because that's the point. Do you see these great buildings? See them for what they are. Not one stone will be left on another. They'll all be torn down. Quit looking at the big, shiny, visible stuff. I'm trying to get you to see what matters. Why is it going to be torn down? Because it's temporal. It won't last. Don't worry about the big hats. Religion's off the table. This building's going down because I'm walking away from it. Religion doesn't matter. Only I do. And what I'm trying to do inside you, in your heart. Oh, it's just incredible text. Let me just close with this. Uh, Because there's one other thing the widow represents. It's Jesus himself. Remember he said, are you watching me? What would God's son look like if he came? If God's son showed up to the temple today, would you recognize him? Would you be looking for the big hat? Because I'm telling you, he's going to look just like that widow. And here I stand in the temple. I am misjudged. I'm poor. I don't have any of the fanfare that they have. No one notices me. And I'm about to give all that I have for them. Jesus is saying, I'm like the widow. I'll tell you why they can't see me. Because they're so enamored with the big hats. They love their stuff and they love the way they look and they love all that stuff. And because they love it, they can't see me. And because they won't give it up, they can't see me for who I really am. You got to be able to walk away from that. See who Jesus really is. Jesus said, I'm about to give. Second Corinthians 8 9 says, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he became poor. So that we might become rich. Jesus is the widow in the temple. That's why they can't see him. And because of the cross, you don't have to worry, you don't have to worry about your hats anymore. That's the message. Jesus is about to do it for you. And all you have to do is be able to see the difference between this life and the next. The temporal and the eternal. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your incredible son who showed up and was willing to look like the widow to teach us that humility and sacrifice matter the most and the heart matters the most, not the external. God, teach us that lesson today. In Jesus' name, amen.